Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Beyond Extra Time. It's Biddy and Shibs here, football fans. We've got a, another special guest um, joining us today. It's a former Socceroos defender from the 1980s. It's Robbie Dunn. Uh, Robbie Dunn is also a club mate of mine at the Perth Saints, so it's fantastic to speak to you. How are you, Robbie? Yeah, good, thanks. Yep. Great to be on the show. We wanted to discuss with you your career, your coaching, so uh, yep. we have a lot of great questions that have come in. Uh, first okay. of all, you started your, your career, uh, you moved at the age of 17 to go over to Adelaide to play in the National League. I mean, tell us about making that move at such a young age. Um, well, I was based down in Rockingham and uh, played for Quinan as a kid because there was no Rockingham, and then I played for Rockingham, and then uh, I got spotted by uh, some guy, uh, he was an ex-WA coach actually, he came over to WA and uh, saw me play. So moved over to Adelaide, actually, to play in the State League, believe it or not. Left the second division in uh, Perth and played over there for Zuri. We won everything. Then the National League guys spotted me, West Adelaide at the time. And, uh, yeah, moved into West Adelaide. And from there, I sort of blossomed, I suppose. So had a great time. Yeah, and, and tell yeah. us about the NSL and, and the, the fan culture back then because we, we hear that there was such amazing crowds and, and, oh, and yeah. fantastic players as well. Look, the... The crowds were fantastic. I mean, you know, pl players that I played against, you know, maybe some of your younger listeners wouldn't know, but guys like Dixie Deans, you know, fantastic Scottish um, centre forward. Um, played against Trevor Francis, who now commentates on the English Premier League. Still a good player when he played for Wollongong and actually as a coach back in Queen's Park Rangers when he went back to England after Australia, he actually tried to sign me. I, I tore my medial ligament and couldn't go. Um, so the players that we played against then, obviously Georgie Best, and a few others, just fantastic players. It was a really, really tough competition. And, yeah, every week you knew you were in a game, that was for sure. And the crowds, well, you know, West Adelaide against Adelaide City were sold out, you know, months and months beforehand. You know, you're talking 20,000 plus. So, you know, you got to play South Melbourne, you know, 17,000, 18,000. So the crowds were fantastic, and it was very, very daunting for a, for a young uh, Perth guy. Yeah, but then obviously you, you played brilliantly to to earn yourself the the right to play for the national team. The Socceroos, such a great honour. You were the 332nd cap for the the national oh. team. Uh, how did that happen? And and uh, who did who did you replace at the Socceroos as well? Um, well, it was in 1985. I I played for West Adelaide and then moved to Pres to Melbourne for a club called Preston Macedonian Club. And I was actually fortunate enough to play for three national league time teams and won um, Preston Best at every club. I think I won six. Uh, Ferris and Bess and uh, actually from centre half actually got a top goal scorer one year um, never took one penalty or uh, whatever But so I suppose playing well for your club in those days as opposed to being playing well for overseas teams you got recognised and uh, came into the national team and took over from a guy called Steve O'Connor and uh, Dave Ratcliffe and formed a relationship with Charlie Yankos and uh, uh, yeah for the next five years we had a great time yeah, Jankos is one of the legendary names. We even we we know that one definitely. <laughs> oh, good to hear. Yeah, and, and and what about your debut? Um, who did that come up against? And I'm sure there would have been some butterflies in the stomach as well. Yeah, look, we played in the, in those days like visiting teams. So it was a, it was a team called Udinese uh, from Italy. Yeah, yeah. And we actually beat them two one at Highmar Stadium. Uh, sorry, at a football football park in that in Adelaide. And. Um, yeah, that was just, I'll never forget that one. And uh, a guy up front called Andrea Carnavali played for Italy. Was in the next World Cup team for them. Actually got put away, got put in jail, I think. Okay, welcome back. 
football fans to be on extra time. We've got part B of our interview with Robbie Dunn. Uh, we, we wanted to keep the suspense because there were so many good stories he was telling us. And <laughs> <laughs> Robbie, I really wanted to discuss the uh, 1986 qualifying campaign for the FIFA World Cup in Mexico. You guys, uh, you came up against Scotland, uh, the yep. uh, legendary Scotland who were managed by uh, Alex Ferguson. Yeah, that's right. And uh, actually, it goes back further than that to uh, I was in Scotland in 1975 with my family and um, training with a local team called St Myrna. I was only a kid, and Alex Ferguson was a manager there. And uh, he wanted to sign me as a schoolboy professional at the time. And my dad wouldn't let me stay in Scotland because all our relatives were uh, <laughs> getting in trouble with police and whatever. So he just didn't think I should be there, which broke my heart. And when I played against Scotland that day, um, Sir Alex came up to me and said, uh, are you the kid I tried to sign at St Mern? So I, I couldn't believe 10 years later he uh, remembered who I was. So that's the type of guy he is with junior players. He's very, very good with junior players. But... Yeah, he's got an eye for talent. Yeah, what a day that was. What a day. Yeah, so then you, you were at uh, Glasgow at Hampton Park for the first leg. It was 2-0. Uh, yep. that you, you went down and then the, the second leg was 0-0 and unfortunately the team couldn't get through. But you, you're born in Scotland. So what was it like coming up against them? Oh, it was, well, it was amazing. I mean, I, I like you said, I, I, I was at Hamden. We'd already gone 2-0 down, and uh, the manager put me on for the last 10 minutes because I was going to have to play the game in Australia because the centre-half had been booked. And uh, all my relatives were just, um, you know, uh, glad to see me uh, playing for Australia, but very, very disappointed I was playing against Scotland. <laughs> and uh, it sort of goes further than that because after that, Glasgow Celtic tried to sign me and uh, wanted me to go on trials, but I wouldn't go because I was a massive Rangers fan. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, my ties were in Scotland, but I was certainly uh, Australian through and through. But I think what people don't realise is in that, in that World Cup campaign, um, the World Cup before that, New Zealand beat Australia and went straight to the World Cup in 82. Mm. And the year before that, in you know, well, 74, obviously, Australia went through for winning their qualifiers. But uh, FIFA told us we had to win Oceania Group, and then we had to go play the winner of another group, which ended up being Israel. So we played Israel, and we beat Israel fair and square, and we were on the plane coming home from Israel, Tel Aviv, where we beat Israel over there 2-1 to play the returning game, and we landed in Australia to find out that FIFA had changed their mind and give the winner of our game direct qualification. We had to actually go into a third qualifying game, which ended up being Scotland. It had never happened before, and it hasn't happened since. So uh, to this day, I, I just feel robbed a little bit by FIFA and uh, the shenanigans of that time, and... Oh well, it's glad. It's good to know that nothing's changed. And be for a shock. Well, we'll just blame Slap Slap Ladder because that seems like the easy way to go. But uh, on a lighter note, 80, uh, 1988 was a, a fantastic year. I mean, I, I woke yep. up this morning and watched the replay of Australia Argentina, the bicentennial Gold Cup, which yep. you were centre back with Charlie Yankos in four one. Yep. I mean, how how was that uh, that that game? Wow. Yeah, look, it's called a bus, it's called a Gold Cup, and FIFA have a Gold Cup where you have must have a reigning world champion a past world champion, an up-and-coming nation, and obviously the host. And Argentina had won the World Cup in 86. This competition was in 87 with Brazil. And um, we beat Nigeria, who were the African champions, 1-0. Then we played Argentina, and we had to win that to go through into the final with Brazil. And look, we beat them 4-1. I got 37 stitches put in my shin by Batista, Batistuta. <laughs> uh, and... Um, yeah, I, I sort of got stitched up on the side of the pitch and came back on, so the days have changed. But 
4-1, and I remember uh, I was the only one who got a shirt after the game because the guy who put stitches in my leg felt that bad about what he did. None of the other Argentinian players would give the Aussie guy shirts, but he gave me his shirt. So I've still got that one in the in the closet somewhere. Yeah, so that that would have been really good preparation for the Seoul Olympics in 1988 yep. as well. So uh, a lot of people talk about is is football does it have its place in Olympics? Uh, you've you've experienced it now. I mean, yep. it must be one of your highlights. So tell us about that experience. Well, you've got to remember, from that 88 Olympics, uh, FIFA then um, had an argument with the Olympic Federation and wouldn't allow any more senior players to play in the in the Olympics because the Olympics, um, you know, is the, the most popular game and the, and the most watched game and the, the biggest revenue raiser is football, even in Sydney 2000, believe it or not. So um, FIFA then decided after 88, no more senior players to play in the Olympics. So we played in the last ever open age group. And at that time, there was only 16 teams qualified, not 32. So we did really well, went in our group, beat Israel again, went through. Now, like our next World Cup campaign where we've got a so-called horror draw, they're all horror draws. We had um, Brazil, and at that stage, um, Yugoslavia, the full Yugoslavia, not the broken-up countries as they are now. Yeah. And um, I think it was uh, Nigeria again, that one. Yeah, yeah. We So Cosmina, John Cosmina scored the winner against Nigeria. We were beaten by Brazil, so uh, Yugoslavia, we beat them to go through. And when we came back to the Olympic Village, I can tell you all of the Yugoslav national team participants were crying. That's how much it meant to their country. So uh, they were a fantastic side. We beat them 1-0. Charlie Ankos missed a penalty still. Graham Arnold scored the winner, the, the, the guy from Central Coast Mariners. And we... You know, we were told we were going to go there, probably like our current national side that are going to go to the World Cup. We were told we were going to be going there and get knocked out in the, in the in the rounds. We didn't. We went through, and we lost to the full Russian side, which there isn't anymore. I've actually got the last CCCP shirt, and uh, they beat us two nil and two penalties. So uh, you know, we can hold our heads high. We did really well for part timers and. You know, I just showed you we, we had a very good side in those days. Fantastic. And you did mention that you, you were part-timers. I mean, now it's it's all professionalised, and I'm sure the tours have uh, all sorts of resources available for the players. But mm. back then, it must have been a real challenge. I mean, what did you do outside of football as well? Well, I, I was lucky. I was uh, I was in sales. I was a sales manager, so I could, I could take it easy. But a lot of guys were bricklayers and carpenters <laughs> and whatever, so it was really tough for them. And, you know, it just shows you the endeavour that our guys had and how good they were. I mean, when we played against... Um, going back to the, the, the bicentennial where we beat um, Argentina 4-1 and even the, uh, the Yugoslav coach and uh, oh, sorry the uh, Argentinian coach and the Brazilian coach who were watching said that you know half our players well, they could have played for Brazil so you know Oscar Crinos the Alan Davidsons you know Graham Arnold was a good player Frank Farina was a good player Robbie Slater we, we were just a very very good team but we had a hell of a high fighting spirit, and it was very hard to beat us. That's brilliant. That's fighting spirit we need to see from the Socceroos in, in yeah. Brazil. Yeah. But um, tell us about your how you became a coach. Was it something that that you realised you wanted to be while you were a player, or did it come to you after you finished your career? Uh, look, I probably finished a little bit too early. I finished at the age of 28 from the national team because my wife wanted to come back to Perth, which you know I didn't have a big grudge. Um, but then we went back up to, I played up in Hong Kong, actually played for the Hong Kong national side against um, China, Russia and Czechoslovakia when I was there. Uh, then played in Selangor. And when I came back, I was only 30, played for the local side, the Western Knights or North Perth Croatia in those times. I sacked their coach and I sort of was given a job as a more senior player then. I actually enjoyed it. Uh, we did really well. 
then then I had kids, sort of gave the, the, the game a miss for a while, and then I came back into the state team. And believe it or not, I'm still the only state coach that's beaten the glory when we beat them 3-2. <laughs> and then I sort of pushed four or five local state players into the glory, which was great. And now I'm coaching again. Yeah, yeah look, I'm enjoying it. And uh, But, you know, don't... Don't, don't be mistaken, I believe the only reason you coach is because you can't play anymore. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. you know, it's just for me is a, is a poor second to playing. And uh, I love the game, and like all of us out there that love soccer or football, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's in your blood, and no matter what happens to you in your journey in life, you know, it's just a, a fantastic passion that always pops back up to the surface. I'm really interested by your moves to um to play at South, in South China and in in Asia because a lot of players are doing that now um, yeah. because of the big money etc. But back then you would have been one of the trendsetters. Were you one of the only Australian yeah. or international players there? Yeah, absolutely. I I played for Selangor and believe it or not, you can go back through the record books. Our average home crowd was seventy-seven thousand people at Selangor, <laughs> and the, the the three foreigners that they were allowed to have in the league then had to be ex-international or international from another country. So. I played with two Czechoslovakian internationals, and I was I was the third one being the Australian. And um, yeah, uh, they relaxed the rules after then because our own Ross Greer from and uh, you know the Saints went up yep. there a bit later. Yeah, at that stage it was just phenomenal, and our club actually brought Maradona out, paid him a million dollars for one game, and um, yeah, the entourage went on a jumbo jet, three hundred and fifty people came out with him. So. Look, yeah, up there I was the first. I was over in Hong Kong playing for South China. That was fantastic. And uh, from then on, I sort of opened the doors for a lot of other players and helped them get over there. Now, you've coached as an assistant at Perth Glory, which I, I really loved because you were training at Tompkins Park, which is right yeah. next to my house. So I could come just before uni and watch the players train, which yeah. was great. But then you've also coaching now at Western Knights. So how yeah. does how do you actually manage that transition and, and work with yeah. the resources that you have at your disposal now at state league level? Oh, you know, it's just a, it's just a matter of love. I mean, if you go back to the when I was a state coach, I didn't have a physio. I ended up getting the, the same physio in Brett, <laughs> and then I uh, ended up getting Brett into the into the Perth Glory, where he's still there now. And, yes, uh, the All Star kit man now. Yeah, they, they love him, you know. But yeah. the thing is, you do what you got to do. You you have the resources you have, and uh, you know the Western Knights were a basket case when I took over them, and got Andy Thorburn down there, another Saints guy, and Steve Huxtable, another old Saints guy, and camaraderie down there now I, I wherever i go i just try and make it as a uh, where we're all team we're all um like like a family we all get on together and if players don't fit you know i do make the hard call and, and i will get rid of players and and whatever so my main criteria is that we go out there and all play for each other and it, it seems to work well we've just got a fan question that's come in from the czech yeah. republic and he, yeah. this one is uh, this, they want to know which players from the czech republic do you know have you ever played with any from the czech republic for Selangor, I played for the goalkeeper, Carol Stromsik, who I think played in the World Cup in 82, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, the, the striker was a guy called Pavel Koricic. And uh, both of them were fantastic players. I actually played against Czechoslovakia in a three-game competition in Australia and uh, probably one of the hardest sides I've ever played against. They were technically gifted, very, very quick. And I think in the three games we played, uh, we might have drawn one and... Uh, drawn two and lost one, but they were very, very superior to us technically. Very good side. Yep, so that was from Jan Prokasko, who's listening in Czech Republic right now in Prague, so yeah, hopefully he understands those players. And I wanted to discuss the FFA Cup with you, because that's a concept that is yep. is definitely going to happen in 2014. And with, yep. your, with your great knowledge of the State League, how do you think teams could go against the A-League opposition? Alright, let me, let me just put it to you like this. You look at Sydney United 58, who won the inaugural NPL last year, 
they had eight ex-A-League players. Eight. Now, Bayswater over here, who are our you know, go-to side, probably had Todd Howlett. So eight versus one. And, and, and to me, at that level, it's all about quality. And it doesn't matter who the coach is, it's about the quality. And as much as I love Perth to do really well, and I want them to do really well, you have to be realistic. It's going to be a long, long road for us to be able to ever compete in that competition. But you know what? You've got to be in there because uh, FA Cups in England and Cup competition around the world, you know, the underdogs win, don't they? So uh, let's keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are one of the only nations in the world without a Cup competition. So yeah, to become yeah, a football yeah. country, we, we do need a competition like that. Absolutely. Uh, as, a, uh, as a fan now and, and someone that can watch the games, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you must be stoked that Socceroos are making World Cups, uh, etc. and we're, ha- we're part of Asia now. Um, so where do you see the game going forward? I mean, you're really involved at the moment. What are your thoughts on Australian football right now? Oh, look, I, I think Australian technically players and all the rest of it are fantastic, you know, much better in my day. I just think the Australian game... Has, you know, has gone out of our play in the fact that we sometimes, in my opinion, on the pitch, think we're a little bit too good. I, I think we've got to get back to the fighting spirit, you know, and, and that's that's the ethos now from FFA. It's let's get our guys technically better, but let's not get rid of the old, you know, mentality, you know, the old Anzacs. And, and you need you need it all. You need if, if we think technically we're going to compete with Spain and Brazil, you know, whoever. Well, let's forget about it. But together with an Australian ethos then you got a chance like when we were at the World Cup you know and we got we did what we did until what happened to us against Italy you know we, we just did ever so well but um, you know let's not go out there and think that we're going to do what we do and you know you, you go back to Japan Japan I think 20 years ago set a hundred year plan in motion to win the World Cup a hundred years yep. so Let's go to Australia and say, let, let's look at the Asian thing. You know, where Japan is a very, very good side, and they've increased their ability so much over the last 20 years. Brought in the best coaches, you know, big money, have uh, done it. And uh, if Australia can get those resources and and be well looked after from the top and get the 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 Australian public behind us 100, percent you know, we'll do well, but it's not going to be in my lifetime. So. But I think we're on the right track. I really do. Absolutely, Robbie. And, and thanks for everything you, you have done for Australian football. You know, as fans, as people that love watching the game, we, we really respect all the Socceroos that, that did their amazing work back in the, in the days where it was part-time and, and the NSL. It, it's amazing history to listen to, and I'm sure every listener really enjoyed that interview. Oh, good on you. Well, thanks for your time, and, uh, you know, go the Socceroos. Yeah, and go Perth Saints as well. Beautiful. Yeah, take it easy, good eh? on you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Robbie Dunn from the Western Knights, who's currently a coach there, and also a Socceroos uh, legend from the 1980s.